The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 23rd, the Odd Girl Out edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, cultural critic, and mom to Naima, who's six, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate and author of How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12. We live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the family travel and homeschool blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three boys, Henry, seven, Oliver, five, and Teddy, three. My husband's in the Air Force, so we're currently calling Navarre, Florida, home. We're glad to have you back, Elizabeth. I speak on behalf of myself and Dan Qua. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here with you Welcome guys. Welcome back. Thanks. So, have you seen any frozen iguanas fall off of a tree just yet? I have not seen any iguanas fall from the tree, but I was surprised at the uh, headline. We're finishing up kind of our first year in Florida, mm-hmm. so a surprising weather announcement for me. It is fun when people in warm weather climates have to deal with like their one day every three years of cold weather. I have a very vivid memory of a time when I was on a work trip with Alia to Palm Springs, and it was raining, which is something that Palm Springs is not used to. And so on the local news, uh, we were watching it in the hotel, the lead story on local news was a shot of the rain, and then the crawl along the bottom said, warning, rain causes puddles. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm definitely colder just having uh, lived here for a year. I feel colder, even though in the Netherlands, this would have been like summer. Like I would have switched to my lighter jacket. But here, Jamila, like you, I'm in full out coat, all of my things. Um, Because, you know, I got to use them. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you have to use them. That's very frustrating. I had someone ask me if she could have my fur coat because she didn't think I needed it anymore. And it was actually a fair request. (laughs) I'm probably not going to honor it, but it's totally fair. It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) No, you're using it. This falls under the you used it now once a year you get to keep it. Exactly. I used it. I used it. Thank you. I love being enabled. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so today on the show, we have two listener questions. The first from a mom of three boys who's sick of people asking her if she wants a girl because maybe she does kind of want a girl. Actually, she wants a girl quite a bit. So is this a rude question or just one that just hits a little bit too close to home? We also have a question from a mom who needs a script on guns. How do you ask if someone has a gun in their home without making it awkward? Plus, as always, we've got triumphs and fails and recommendations. Dan, we'll start with you. Do you have a triumph or a fail this week? I have a triumph this week. It is a very basic triumph, but it's one that I am really proud of because 10 years ago, maybe it would have seemed unthinkable to me. Mm -hmm. And the triumph is that we just had a very nice three-day weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember the times not so long ago when a three-day weekend in February, when it's cold outside, would have been like something we dreaded. We would spend weeks before the three-day weekend trying to figure out how it would not be a nightmare to just be stuck in the house for three days with our horrible selves and our horrible children. Um, But because of the combination of our kids being older and them having friends and us finally having friends and activities and also just us being generally better at settling down and focusing and being with them in ways, we just had a nice weekend. You know, it it was good. First, I'm still struggling to imagine, even though I'm sure it's inevitable, my child becoming so loathsome that I would prefer to go to work (laughs) than to spend time with her. 
And yet I know that day is coming. Yeah, but it's not even that you prefer to go to work. Sometimes it's that there's so much work that it stretches into the of weekend. Course. And then you can't do that right. work because you have a child who not unreasonably wants to do things with you. Yeah. Um, and so Ali and I, I think, have both done a pretty good job in the last few years of de-stressing our jobs in ways that allow us to have a little bit more of a weekend yeah. than we used to. That's oh, been, I said three-day weekend. Yeah. I mean, but that's been an important part of like yeah. our career non-paths yeah. in the last few years has yeah. been like making that happen. And I think that helped too. But so like this weekend, Harper had a friend over for a little bit and Lyra had a project and we played some games and we watched some TV and we did a service project on Monday. And I think what really helped is that we all had together time and we also all had alone time. Yeah. But, you know, it was like Monday night and the kids were finally in bed and Ali and I were sitting by the fire and I was like, oh, you know what? Sometimes we're pretty okay at this <laughs> and I'm happy and my kids are happy a lot of the time. And so that was nice because of just how unthinkable that future was in, you know, 2010. Dan, every weekend at my house is a three-day weekend. Because I'm home. <laughs> oh yeah, with them all the time. Every no, every week is a yeah. seven day weekend. Every for every the new week camps. is a seven day weekend. Yeah, mm-hmm. for me, <laughs> Jeff gets to go to work and come home. But and I'm sure it feels just as relaxing as a weekend, right? Is that what working moms say to you? Like, oh, it must be so nice to just stay at home all day. Do you get that? Yes, I get that a lot. I think they think I have like all of this free time, but I have like no free time, and my coworkers are terrible. Yes. <laughs> like they eat my lunch. They come in on me when I'm in the bathroom. Like it's, it's, it's you know, terrible. not a lot of office decorum in your place. No, it's funny because I do remember a time when I was working and I like dream of some of those moments. So I think it's the whole, you know, grass is always greener. But I completely understand like we have a routine of how we get through each day. And so a weekend is just an extension of that in which Jeff is also home. So it does feel like a holiday because I have an additional adult. Well, how did you get through this one? Do you have a triumph or a fail? Oh, me. I have a fail. (laughs) (laughs) So my oldest child, Henry, who's seven, has massive anxiety, for which we see someone about that. But I just completely failed to take that into account over the weekend. Mm -hmm. We like to listen to podcasts in the car. We had listened to Wow in the World for like the 30th time. And I was like, nope, we're listening to This American Life, which we have listened to before. The episode that came on was about rabies. And it was this, <laughs> yes, do you see where this is going? There's this whole long drawn out story about this raccoon attacking this woman in this isolated driveway. Now, I should have turned it off the moment they said rabies, but oh, I didn't. No. I should have turned it off when they started beating the raccoon with a tire iron and it wasn't dying, <laughs> but I still didn't. I should have turned it off when the lady is getting terrible advice from the local health department about not needing a shot for three days. No, I turned it off somewhere after that. During the funeral scene? I turned it off after she got the bad advice, but before we hear that she's okay, I turned it off and then just tried to pretend it didn't happen. Guys, it gets worse. Then we have this like long, drawn-out conversation about rabies. We like Google everything you need to know about it. And I think, you know what would make this better? I should go get a book. So about I, rabies. A, about, I don't know. So I go and I get Bear Grylls Survival Camp Book. <laughs> the, the tagline is literally, could you avoid deadly diseases and fight back against man-eating beasts? And you know what? I give it to him. Like, what is wrong with me? So it's basically 100 illustrative pages of what could go wrong in any situation. So now what I have done is, like, given him things to be worried about that he shouldn't. For example, in one of the illustrated pages, illustrated Bear Grylls is climbing inside a camel 
to hide from a sandstorm. This is something that my child (laughs) did not believe he should be nervous about (laughs) and now is. So my therapist should be very happy because I have guaranteed like years more (laughs) therapy. Yeah, this is something we're working through together. (laughs) And then on top of everything else. He's going to be nailed by a frozen iguana falling yeah, out of a tree. Yeah, and now there are frozen iguanas. Yes, yeah. something else we didn't know we needed to be scared of. That is a truly amazing fail, Elizabeth. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, it's like a colossal fail. You know, one day someone will be trapped with him and be thankful. That's right. It's very true. That when he, he crawls in a do. camel to avoid yes, a sandstorm. just you wait. What about you, Jamila? Triumph or fail this week? As usual, fail. I actually am going to start keeping score in my notes that, so I don't have a fail every week. But it just so happens I have a fail every week. So today I have a fail. I didn't mention this earlier, but Dan and I are actually sitting in the same room looking at each other. It's amazing. It's amazing. This doesn't happen often. And it was not supposed to happen today. I was here for an event in Washington, D.C. And I originally thought, okay, I have something to do in D.C. on a Tuesday. I should stay until you know, Wednesday evening so we can do the podcast in real life. That'd be great. But I also wanted to spend the entire long weekend on the East Coast. So I was like, well, I can't be gone for five days. You know, so I'll I'll just go right back on Wednesday morning and do the podcast from L.A. But despite the fact that I, A, live in California, B, have lived there now for a few months, C, have traveled back and forth between New York and California for at least two years on a regular basis, I can't keep the time zones together. Time zones. They're so confusing. In fact, I don't even know the proper name for the California one. I always say California time. Pacific. Pacific time. That's (laughs) it. Because I was like, really? Pacific? No, that just sounds... It also pertains to other locales besides California. I know. But it just sounds too exotic for California. (laughs) But either way, obviously, I struggle with time and time zones and, and maybe basic English. And I book a flight that would get me back to L.A. at 1030 in the morning, which is the exact time that I begin recording this podcast uh, from the local studio. So this morning, as I woke up on time for my flight, I figure that out. Luckily, get on the next flight. The airport is about 15 minutes from here, uh, and the hotel is literally around the corner. So I probably should came here much earlier and tried to hang out at this late office, but... I was dealing with the fact that my child is completely on Mars right now. Hopefully, next week, with her father's permission, I'm going to tell you the best story I could ever possibly tell on this show. So this is a commercial for next week's episode. A fail has occurred, but you do not feel at liberty yet to explain (laughs) the fail to us because it belongs to your ex-husband. Yeah, ex-boyfriend. Ex-boyfriend. Sorry, I apologize. I truly hope that he gives you dispensation to tell the story because I really want to hear it. The only reason I now wish that we had been married in the past is because I would feel like, well, here's my ex-husband. I'm I'm sure I took half of some of his things. I'm taking the story. That's right. And I would just took the story right now as opposed to waiting permission. California common law means that all his stories are yours if you were once legally married. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Let's do some business while we still have some to do. Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified about all of our great parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much, much more. It's a personal email from Dan every week. He writes it by hand, actually. Dan had went to the restroom when I first came into the office, and so I was looking for him, and I got to peek by his desk, and everyone else has a MacBook, and Dan has a quill, a typewriter, and calligraphy pens. And he writes the newsletter 
by hand. Also, I have a staff of assistants who I dictate my words to sometimes. Oh, so you don't write yourself. No, they scribble them down on scrolls, yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. You can get that from Dan and his team of interns every single week if you sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Also, check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a fun community, moderated mostly by Dan, who kicked somebody out the other day. And I wonder if it's on my behalf. I wanted to ask, but I also felt bad about what I'd said. So I was like, I'm mm, not going to bring this up. We, we win those arguments every time. <laughs> but for the most part, it's a safe space for you. It's 100% a safe space for us. So just make sure that if you insult somebody, it's not one of us. And there's a lot of great conversations in there about the and feeding column and mom and dad are fighting. We have been talking about Dan's book. If you've got questions or things that maybe you want to hear on the show, you can share them with us on Facebook. So please come find us there. Now, on Slate Plus today, we're going to be playing a game of Would You Rather, which is one of my favorite games of all time. I'm so very excited that we got to play this on the show today. Take a listen to what you could have if you subscribe to Slate Plus. Oh, that's a hard one. Well, I that's a very easy one because I'm going to scam us out of that science fair deadline. <laughs> so when the project comes in two days and everybody thanks her for even being able to have the strength to complete it because they had no idea what was going on in Naima's house because I've come up with some ridiculous scenario. To hear great segments like that and to get ad-free versions of your favorite Slate podcast, sign up for Slate Plus, our membership program, which is a great way to support us and just $35 for your first year. Slate Plus helps to cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And in return, again, you get extended ad-free versions of this and other great Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. So if you like us, show us how much you like us. Support Mom and Dad are Fighting. Go to Slate.com backslash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. All right. So this week, our first listener question is going to be read, as usual, by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, I am the mother of three children, ages six, three, and six months. All my children are boys. They are the best. My husband and I absolutely love being their parents. When I was pregnant with our youngest child and in public with my kids, people's eyes would light up when they would ask, are you having a girl? And then their faces would fall when I told them that we were thrilled to be expecting a son. My whole parenting life is filled with these experiences. I have had people go out of their way to approach me at a grocery store to tell me to cherish my sons because they will leave me when they are grown. I've heard people state that my child who loves princesses and dresses does so because I so desperately want a girl and encourage this behavior. I usually respond by firmly stating how lucky I am to have such amazing children and cutting off any additional conversation. The bigger issue that is nagging at me is that these comments are getting to me. I'm a proud feminist who is committed to raising feminist empathetic boys. I have devoted my career to helping vulnerable women and children. I would be lying if I didn't dream of having a daughter to share these experiences with and have that mother-daughter relationship. When I scrub pee off the bathroom wall seven times a day or break up another loud bout of roughhousing, I think of those comments and how my life would be more complete if I had a daughter. My rational brain knows this isn't true. The reality of raising a child of any gender is far from any parent's fantasy. My heart tells me otherwise. How do I let this sense of disappointment go? deal with the pitiful comments and just enjoy what I'm lucky to have. Sincerely, the odd girl out. That's a tough one. Dan, what do you think? 
So I want to talk about the second half of this question mm-hmm. first, sort of the harder half, right? Your regrets and your worries about not having a daughter. I don't think that those regrets or worries really have anything to do with people making asshole comments to you. No. I think that these are your feelings. And I think that you're entitled to those feelings. It is totally okay to sometimes privately mourn the versions of your life that you don't have, that you once envisioned and don't have for for any reason. A great time to do that is when you're scrubbing pee off the wall, but it can happen anytime. It's really totally natural to think about these things. And I want to urge you, letter writer, to beat yourself up less about having these occasional fleeting thoughts. I don't get the impression that these thoughts alter or change in any way the love and care that you give to your sons. I don't think they have any real effect on your family life or the way they feel loved or cared for. And so until such a time as these thoughts are becoming like intrusive or are overwhelming you, I think that you should let yourself off the hook about it, like occasionally feeling them. It's okay to just think every once in a while, oh, you know what? I have two girls. It would have been really fun to have a boy to like do this boy thing with if it worked out that way. But that doesn't mean that I love my girls any less. But I would like to hear what the rest of you have to say, uh, especially perhaps the one of us with three boys. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I basically could have written this letter. (laughs) Having three boys, I wanted to tell the letter writer, this is completely normal. This is something I feel like my friends and I have discussions about. Dan, I agree with everything you said. I think it is good to sit with those kind of feelings a little bit and acknowledge that like feelings are not good or bad or right or wrong. They're just like your feelings. When I have these thoughts, though, I often think about what that means for my expectations of a child. Like I am mourning not having a girl because we don't go do X or I see other moms and daughters doing these things together. And I think, well, my expectation is that if I had a girl, she would have liked to do these things. Or she would have done these things with me. And when you start to think about it that way, you start to realize like, well, no, I could have had a girl and she could have been totally into the same things that, you know, this particular boy or whatever is that I have, one of my three. And from that, I try to fill, I don't want to call it like a void because like she says, I am completely in love with my family and the way it looks. I love being a mom of three boys, but I find that I can say, okay, well, this mom and daughter go do these things together. Well, my oldest child loves going to tea with me. He loves like sitting and just having tea and enjoying conversation and like bringing a book to read while we do it. And I try to just think like, well, this is amazing. And because he's a little boy, we get like a lot of attention when he does that. He gets kind of (laughs) doted on, you know, in a way that like we'll be somewhere when we travel. That's the one thing him and I try to go do together. And it'll be all these moms and daughters. And I'm there with my oldest child. Much like the letter writer, my middle child, his favorite color is pink and purple. He's into just all kinds of, I think, stereotypically girl stuff. And that is completely him. And I just try to be appreciative of that and the fun things I get to do. I think the other thing you can kind of do on the flip side is that I invited a bunch of girls over to my house, (laughs) like little girls that are friends of other moms. I was like, well, I'll have them over. My husband had the boys away doing something. And it was complete chaos in a whole new way. And (laughs) I was like, oh, I've gotten really used to being a boy mom. Like pee on the wall is one thing, but like everyone crying about 
feelings and sort of all kinds of other stereotypical things (laughs) happened. And I was like, okay, I'm pretty happy in this spot. I think the thing about the letter, though, that just kind of makes me angry, I think, as a mom of three boys, is this first part where people are always commenting on Mm -hmm. my family structure. Because I homeschool, I have the three boys out with me all the time. And I cannot think of a time in which I was at a store or somewhere and someone did not say to me like, oh, they're all going to leave you when they get married. Or, That's insane. That's people so say weird. that. Isn't that crazy? Like, That's weird. Or like, are you having one more so you can have a girl? And they're saying this in front of my children. I don't want my children to ever think that they are not enough because of something that they literally had no part in. So then I was wondering, like, well, is it just a boy thing? I wanted to ask, like, if you get comments, I did call, like, my friends of three girls all said that they get the comment, oh, you're a poor husband, or just wait till they're older, you're never going to be able to afford this. Yes, I definitely have had folks, when I was pregnant with Naima, uh, her dad and I broke up right before we found out that I was expecting. So even though he's always been present as my co-parent, we never parented as a couple. And so that means that during the pregnancy, I was already a single parent. And I had a taxi driver, you know, ask me if I was married. And I said, no. He said, I just don't understand you Americans and why you just have children. Like, it's just no big deal. I mean, that wasn't the only person, you know, during that period, this most vulnerable time in a woman's life. There's no point during motherhood where people don't feel comfortable saying really invasive, judgmental things about your parenting and your family structure. And I know that fathers get a lot of that. Mothers take the brunt of it, right? Fathers don't get any of that. Usually when you're talking to a dad about his parenting, it's often from a place of admiration. Right. What what fathers get is, oh, look at you. Yeah, you're you're doing your your part. You're doing it. Yeah, look at you. Yeah. Daddy daycare. No, it's great. Daddy daycare. It. One thing, I, I'm sure I was probably guilty of doing this as a much younger person, and I, I'm trying to be a lot more mindful about these things now, is when somebody has a boy, you know, and a girl saying, oh, you've got a perfect set, right? And implying that there's something wrong with having, you know, all children of one gender or that, you know, you're somehow yeah. missing something if you didn't have a child of your own gender. When I was calling my friends, the people that have a boy and a girl did tell me that they are just told, like, what a perfect family. Yeah. Um, and when we lived in the Netherlands, now, if you have a boy or girl, they call it the King's Prize. And wow. it is definitely... There's an actual, there's yeah. a name for it. Yeah, there's an actual yeah. name for it. They'll say, I, oh, the King's Prize. I wanted Naima to be a boy, but I always wanted a boy and a girl. And if it was one child, it would be a boy. And there's a part of me that still deeply wants a boy. But lately, I've been thinking, like, I'd really love to raise a second girl. I'd be really happy with that. Well, yeah, I you mean, know? honestly, once I had one boy... <laughs> And then it was like, I found out we were having a second. I'm like, this is great. When we, you know, we're having the third, I was like, if this is a boy, like cost savings on right. clothes, like right. I already know what I'm doing. Like, thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. Oh and and yeah. just like there are some real beauties of having three of the same sex and just being into the rough housing and yes like they all pee on the floor that is just a reality of my life i wanted the letter writer to feel a little bit better because girls though they are not you know apt to pee on the floor beyond a certain age or they aren't typically typically as into the bathroom humor and some of the gross stuff that little boys are associated with you still come across a lot of pee a lot of poop 
a lot of ickiness, a different kind of ickiness, an ickiness that will begin and, and will change everyone's life at one point. Because yeah, I mean, I don't even want to tell you what's on the floor of my kid's bathroom now. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. So I, we're just getting it out of the way early. Right. Oh. Yes. And my daughter the other day asked me to come in the bathroom and keep her company because she was having a hard time getting it out. Yeah. You know, I went and said, well, maybe you just don't have to go. She was like, no, it's kind of out. And then I realized that the smell hit me in that moment. I was like, oh, it is almost out. And I, I sat in there as long as I possibly could. And I kept thinking, I'm smelling someone else's shit. Like, I'm <laughs> not in the public bathroom. I'm in my home. There's nothing I can do. Long so. story short, parenting is gross no matter what. Parenting is gross. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that was sort of my takeaway is that, one, stop commenting on other people's families. Yes. Yes. If you don't have anything nice to say, in this situation, don't say anything at all. Right. Just and like, don't even say the things that you maybe think are nice. No. Because probably they're not. Yes. Even when people tell me, like, it must be difficult or something, because sometimes it is like I'm wrangling three boys at the store. It is clearly difficult. Um, (laughs) I don't really need you telling me that it's difficult because that just makes me feel like (laughs) it looks difficult. Right. Also, the goal is for it to be difficult, but for other people not to know. We love to tell people how hard it is to be a parent while we're watching them struggle to be a parent. Here's one other suggestion. If as time goes on and your boys get older and you still feel this feeling that you've been feeling that you wish that there was a girl in your life who you, you know, had some responsibility for or had those opportunities with, uh, you could consider you know, volunteering for a big sisters program, right? There are a lot of programs out there that will happily match you with a girl who would love to have an older Mm -hmm. woman in her life to talk her through things and to be with. And that also would maybe have the added benefit of putting a girl in your boy's life, which is never a bad thing for a bunch of boys stuck in a house with boys to be reminded that there are non-boy human beings in the world. And so that's something to think about and explore too as time goes on. Yeah, Dan, I wrote that down too. I actually wrote like, if this is a persistent thought, it may be that you need to have a conversation about like, are you done as a family? There is adoption, there is foster care, there Mm -hmm. is becoming a big sister. There are all these other ways to fill that place in your heart there's nothing wrong with being honest with yourself about what you need or what your expectations were and then taking action to have your reality meet your expectations. One more thing I want to add. I'll put on my Whoopi Goldberg in ghost hat. I actually do have on a big head wrap. So I'm sure someone's going to ask Dan later, like, what were you interviewing Erica Badu about? One thing that my people, the blacks, do, <laughs> um, and, and this is common in a lot of communities. It's very common in the LGBT community as well. Chosen family, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you may find a volunteer situation. You may have a friend who has a daughter, and this little one becomes, like, your play niece, right? Your play cousin. You know, I've been adopting relatives my whole life, play brothers and play cousins and play, you know, I've got children that are, you know— uh, just from someone who was a former student of mine who became a little sister figure. And, and so now I've got a younger sister figure and a little girl in my life. So find your girls. Thank you so much, Letter Writer, um, and all the best to you. Listeners, if you would like for us to perhaps read one of your letters on air, send us a question to slate.com. All right, letter number two. Hi, all. My oldest kid is the age when he is going to start going on playdates to houses where we don't know the parents. I want to ask any parents whether they have a gun in the house before letting him go over, and I am not okay with him playing at a home that has a gun. This is an important question, but a little awkward to bring up out of nowhere. Do you have a script that can be used to ask in a matter-of-fact and not awkward way? Before you answer, who else grew up with guns around? My father was a police detective, so even though I lived with my mother, he was in the house maybe 
three to five days a week. I remember the ritual of him taking off his holster and all the other guns. My father always carried a lot of guns. He still carries a lot of guns and putting them above the refrigerator and never thinking uh, under any circumstances, oh, okay, let me check this out. It didn't make them less scary, but I guess I still feel like, oh, guns were around. You know, did you all have guns around? I never had guns around. No, there were never guns in my house. I didn't grow up with guns in my house, but then I married someone in the military and guns became a part of our life, not at our home, but certainly in a lot of people's homes we know and as part of work. I think that combined with this fact that every few years I have to make a whole batch of new friends Mm -hmm. means that I have done this a lot. It is definitely a conversation that I have with people whom my children are going over their homes to play. And I do have this like story that actually makes me anxious even to talk about. Since we've been here, my oldest, Henry, was invited to go over to a friend's house. The co-worker's daughter and Henry had played together at a few work events, and they invited um, Henry to come over and play, and the co-worker was at his parents' house. I know, super complicated. So my husband asked, like, hey, Henry's been invited over to play. He really likes his kid. Can we, like, drop him off? We were on our way from somewhere at this person's house. And I was like, nope. That's just not something we do. If you want to have this play date, you have to go with. And Jeff was just like, this is a silly rule. I was just like, hey, this is the rule we have. I'm kind of in charge of this section of life. This is what we've done. It makes Henry more comfortable. Jeff and Henry end up going over there. Mm-hmm. And um, while Henry is playing in the house, Jeff is hanging out with his coworker. He comes running back into the room and says, we were just playing over there and there is a gun under the pillow. Ah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Thankfully, listen, these two children did everything right, didn't touch it, got an adult, everything. Uh, It is such a reminder of why I have these conversations, Mm -hmm. um, both with my children and with people whose homes he's going to be in. I totally understand, like, our conversation with Henry, of course, is about not being in people's rooms, not going through things. Like, they're children. and, And these are things that children do. Like, I've certainly had kids at my house, and all of a sudden, they're in the master bedroom doing, right. you know, who knows what. My daughter picked up my vibrator and turned it on the other yeah. day. <laughs> exactly. Like, things happen. Right. So, happen. this just really drove home for me the idea that this is a conversation that I have to have, no matter how anxious it makes me. I know, like, the, like, official advice is probably have this conversation in person. I find it incredibly awkward. So, I almost always do it by text or email. I know as you get older, this becomes maybe more complicated, but uh, my general rule is that like first play dates or first interactions, I'm there. I don't usually let my kids go to someone's house that I don't know or that we haven't met or had a conversation with. So I already have a sense of these people. Then I send an email or a text and I use phrases like, Henry has never been to your house before. I just wanted to make sure that we touched base on a few things. And then I choose something benign. So I will either talk about food like you know, Henry doesn't drink any soda. He just drinks milk and water. I ask, is there anything he should be bringing with him for this play date? I might also ask about if it's Oliver going over. Oliver is terrified about dogs. So I will say, like, do you have any pets in the house so that I can prepare, you know, Oliver for that? And then I say, uh, this is just something I ask all the time. I'm sorry if it's awkward, but I wanted to check if there's any firearms in your house. And if so, are they locked up? Now, The letter writer sort of says, like, I don't want him playing at any house with a gun. My rule is more that I want to touch base with someone in a non-judgmental way. I want to know if you have a firearm in the house, and I want to know what you do to store that. Gun owners, I'm going to speak in general, the ones I know, take good care of their firearms. They are locking them up, particularly if they have children in the house. But 
sometimes you forget you've done something. Your routine has changed. The reminder of like, hey, do you have this firearm in your home and does it lock up? I think it's just a mind jogger to say like, oh, yeah, we do. And to think like, let's make sure it's locked up, you know? Um, I have never had anyone respond or be rude about it. Maybe I'm incredibly lucky. Are most of the families that you're having playdates with other military families? I mean, it's a mix. It could be homeschool families or military families. A lot of them tell me that they have guns and that they're locked up. Mm-hmm. I always make sure no matter what they tell me, I say thank you. Thanks so much for letting me know. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes me feel more comfortable. And the goal of all this is to make us feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I had been thinking about, too, like, what do you do if you feel uncomfortable or if someone gave you an uncomfortable answer? And I feel like then I would probably just ask that, say, I would be more comfortable if we met at a park or at my house. I don't really care whether you own a gun or not. I care that you want to make me feel comfortable in the same way that I would want to make you feel comfortable if you came to my house. Right. Like, I wouldn't hesitate to ask about a booster seat, right? Like, do you have Mm -hmm. the appropriate car seat to transport my child? And what can I do to make that the right way so that we can do this? I think it's a fair thing to have anxiety about, right? I mean, there are hundreds of kids that die every year because of gun-related accidents, because somebody left a gun out specifically. I think you also have a perfect out. From now on, I'm going to tell people my friend had this thing happen where her kid was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. That's my excuse from now on. Absolutely. Well, when I was thinking about telling the story, that's kind of what I was going to say is you can absolutely use this as an example. Like, hey, my friend had this happen and I just want to make sure that doesn't happen, you know, to your child or mine. The only thing I think to kind of stay away from is any kind of judgment in the email because I think that's what makes it awkward. When you're dealing with something that makes you anxious, just say it. Like, I will say, this is super awkward for me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but I I just have, that's one of the things I have to do. I have to ask. And I think if I met someone who thought all this was weird and didn't want to be my friend, then that's okay. (laughs) I agree. And I was going to say, I think there are certain things where it's okay to say, you know what, this is a sign because it's more than just, you know, say this person is like, hey, I've been shooting since I was a teenager and I'm licensed and I'm responsible and I keep my stuff locked up and I'm just so bothered at the implication. That might be a sign that this person's kind of a jerk, right? right? So having frequent contact with them in this way may not be ideal either way. And there's the out too of kind of saying like, we don't have guns in the house. And so my child is not familiar with what to do. Mm -hmm. Even though we have talked to him about that, we have come up with a plan, which clearly I'm so thankful worked. When it comes up, I explain to them like why I don't like a lot of gun play. He plays guns at other people's home with Nerf guns and water guns and all kinds of things. And I just explained to them that those sort of things are fine, but that at the end of the day, pointing a gun at someone is like threatening their life. And so if the play takes that kind of turn, I'm uncomfortable with it. And here's why, because, you know, life is valuable. And I think explaining that has given them, no, kind of, you know, Henry has an anxiety problem, so he has taken to this, <laughs> you know, very well. But the other two, too, I think, no, like, if you see a gun, don't touch it. You need to come get an adult. Don't let your friend touch it. If your friend's touching it, you need to get out of there. Like, th- those sort of things are important to talk to your child about, even if it scares you to talk to them about it. You know what? I think as I'm listening to you talk, I'm hearing so much of what I got from the letter writer, which is like, we have to feel okay setting boundaries for our kids. You know, like we don't have to apologize for not wanting them to play gun games. You know, I've decided that this is what my family does. This is what my child requires to be in your care. And if you're not okay with them, that's fine. You know, the the kids can play at school. If they have a relationship that would put them in a situation together where they'll still see each other, that's great. But maybe we're not going to be, you know, 
every other weekend playdate crew. And that's totally fine. I think that's a great analogy. This is a choice that we've made. And that's just who we are. That's who we are. So letter writer, I think you've got a couple of great suggestions for how to speak to that concern when you talk to parents. And please feel confident in asking those questions and in making the decision about whether uh, your child is safe in someone's home based on the information you get from that conversation. We would like to try and solve all of your life problems as well. Well, not your life's problems per se, but the ones that are directly related to your parenting. If you're interested in having us read one of your letters on air, send us an email to momanddad at slate.com. Before we get out of here, let's do some recommendations. Elizabeth, what do you have for us this week? Okay, so this is like an incredibly nerdy recommendation, but we do something called a book of centuries, and it's like basically a book that's a blank timeline. We write in this book important dates that we are studying or encountering or that are happening to our family. So we've been doing this for a while. So we started with the kids' birthdays, grandma and grandpa's birthday. Then, like, as we traveled places and discovered, you know, went to this fort, we put the date of that in. And it's like a living document, and the kids can cut out things and put in it, draw pictures of different historical events. But it has really, I think, given them a sense of where they are in the world and also a sense of, like, things that happened at the same time. And I was thinking about this because there's like a thing, I don't know, I've seen it going around Facebook that talks about Martin Luther King and Frank and Barbara Walters all being born in the same year. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, gosh, we have so many of those kind of light moments that happen because of this book. Like we will open it to write something and the kids are excited about putting different things in it. But just things like my kids think it's super funny that my husband is older than Epcot. Um, and that's like, yeah, like, cause like when we went to Disney, we put the dates of all the parks in there. We discovered that Abraham Lincoln and Charles Darwin were born on the same day. So just things like that, that I think put into perspective where you fit into this larger picture. This is so cool. Wait, so is this a book that's designed for you to do this? So you can totally just take a notebook right now and start the beginning. Mine runs from uh, 5,000 BC to... 5,080. <laughs> it's like comes from Charlotte Mason homeschooling. Um, but I just find it like a wonderful thing that I think, gosh, if I had had this, like so much of history and school would have been easier. Yeah. And I think it's fun because for us, it does tend to be like more historical and museums. But like if you're really into movies or music or visiting, I don't know, squished penny places, like you could put all of those in this book. You can put whatever you want. And my kids draw little doodles of things and cut out things that we found and paste them in there. And now everything is kind of in relation to their grandparents and their great grandparents and us and how many years before that. And you can put stuff in the future. So if they read like an article that says, oh, in this year, we expect to have this, we put it in our book. And then when we, you know, get there. We'll see that, like, in this year, we thought this is what's going to happen. So it's I don't know. It's good for Henry a fun... to have a visual representation of when the Earth will be inundated because yeah, of exactly, climate change. Exactly. As he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm coming around to maybe a poor idea for my anxious child. But uh, I, I do think it really gives you a place of where you are in time. In time. I, I think this is great. Uh, I love this idea. I love everything about it. I especially love how you can use it to make it clear to your children that while your husband is older than Epcot, you are not. I am not. That's mm-hmm. true. <laughs> Although you were born in what my daughter calls the 19s. The oh, 19s. Well, Ugh, the 19s. The 19s. 
That's where old stuff comes from. Dan, what do you have for us this week? Uh, I'm going to recommend a couple of games. They're called Exploding Kittens and You've Got Crabs. They are both games created by a cartoonist named Matthew Inman. He's the creator of the webcomic The Oatmeal. If you know that comic, you may already know these games, but if not, you probably know that the games are snarky and full of puns and a little bit nerdy the way that that webcomic is. I'm recommending them not because I love playing them so much. I've done that in other times with other games. I think they're fine. The designs are funny. I like how clever they are and how imaginative they are. But I do think that as games, their gameplay gets a little uninteresting for me, an adult, after a while. But I'm recommending them because these, I think, are perfect games for tweens and teens and big groups to play with each other. I think those are not always easy to find. And so when you have a big assemblage of like, you know, seven 13-year-olds in your house and you want to find something for them to do that isn't just like playing a video game or texting each other silently. Like, well, these games are great for that. They are forever hilarious and interesting to that exact age group. They seem just a little bit subversive uh, and kids that age just totally love them like universally. So uh, once again, they're called Exploding Kittens and You've Got Crabs. They are great for a big group of tweens to play while the adults are safely in another room drinking beer. That's amazing. Yeah. Our local library actually has these that you can check out. I just noticed Exploding Kittens on the shelf and had no idea what it was, but they have a whole series of games that you can bring home and play and take back. Yes, many public libraries have a big game section. It's a great way to try out a game to see if you like it before you blow the cash on it. Sounds like lots of fun. Well, I am recommending facilitating time between your children and your childless friends, which is something that you probably do um, from time to time if you have childless friends who've taken a really strong interest in hanging around your kids or perhaps they live really close and so they were part of your daily or weekly routine either way and somehow that just didn't stop when your life became something completely different. Um, But for those of you all that have children under, say, four or five and, and are still very, very far away from getting back to or creating a normal that in any way, shape, or form resembles the one that you once knew, uh, it can be easy for both parties to drop the ball in terms of maintaining the friendship. And that's a conversation that I had with one of my girlfriends actually just last night. Hi, Kiara. I'm giving you a shout out. So if you didn't listen to the show, then I'll know it. We talked about feeling disconnected, you know, at times and how certain women friends can pull away, you know, and and distance themselves. And not always women friends, but just friends pull away from parents because they think you don't have time for them or, you know, you, you have acted as if you don't have time for them. But when you can and do facilitate time with those folks, I think some of the most beautiful experiences I've had with my child have been watching her, you know, tell jokes to one of my lifelong friends playing a game with one of my other buddies. And I I think it's great and fulfilling for my friends. Hopefully they haven't complained about it yet. Not just a matter of pulling them in to do some babysitting or, you know, come to the house and hang out with Naima while I, you know, do some sort of task. But like, can you give an example of like how to facilitate time? Because I love this idea, but I find it difficult to like invite these people into my chaos. You know, it can be difficult. I'll admit when my daughter was younger, there were a number of times where in theory we had time to entertain company. I didn't want to deal with what came of that. Right. So I'm like, I don't want them to see how we live right now. It's a mess. I have to wait until next week and somebody comes and cleans up. Like, But if your space isn't up to hosting, um, which is oftentimes the most comfortable uh, way to have kids and friends together, because if it's not quite working, you know, it's low stakes. They can just go home, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes the kids can play by themselves while the adults have a little bit of time. 
But at home, you can play games with them. You know, if you've got kids that are old enough to play Uno or Old Maid or Heads Up, right? Or even the super little kid games, right? Candyland. Um, getting on the floor and, and getting on their hands and knees and just playing with your kids. You know, it, it's yeah. not always a matter of, okay, we have to have a big activity. Or we're going to a theme park or we're going to the movies or we're going to the museum, you know, but just that we're doing regular stuff together and you're getting to do that with a kid. I believe deeply in the connection that adults of a community, any community, should have to the children of that community, right? Like the, the neighbor's kids are important to me. It's so good for the kids, too. Like the more adults you can put in a child's life, the better. Yeah. The practical recommendation I would make on this front, this is something we used to do a lot when our kids were the right age for it, is just invite a child-free friend along with you to the playground. Yeah. If you're going to the playground anyway, tell your child-free friend, hey, buy two coffees and meet us at the playground. Yep. You will sit with them and talk a little, but they will also just naturally end up gravitating toward the swing or whatever, and they will get some time with your kid doing kid things in a basically like not that onerous, mostly fun way. Yep. That's I love that. And I guess the the cold weather equivalent of that would be a museum, right? Because the adults yeah. can, you know, hang back and walk and the kids can play with whatever uh, kid-friendly stuff they have there, looking at art and stuff. It's a very easy way to build a bond. I look at my... I have an older sibling and, and many of her friends have children that are much older than mine. And, and I look at her relationship with their now 17, 18, you know, 20 year old children and, and that she's truly an aunt figure and someone who loves them and sends them stuff when they're off at college, broke and struggling and, and celebrates all their wins. And I think it's great to have that kind of village surrounding a child and your friends will benefit from it, too. Yeah, I love this so much. I have two like old friends in Atlanta that I do this with, like that I've known forever and it felt so seamless. But recently I've actually met a couple of women here that don't have children and have felt really like the barrier to that. So I love this. So I'm definitely going to just like invite them as soon as it gets warm, invite them to the playground and have a coffee date. I just love this so much. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us again. That is our show for the week. Listeners, if you have a question that you want to hear on air, please leave us a message, 424-255-7833, or send us an email at slate.com and join us on Facebook by searching for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Dan Qua and Elizabeth <laughs> Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux.